Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. My name is Kevin, one of your hosts. And I am Ethan, the other host. And today, we are discussing what type of episode is it? The ultimate yes. episode of season three of Star Trek Lower Decks, which is called, called The Stars at Night. Clearly a reference to that song about Texas. Yes, our big and bright. It is directed by Jason Zurich, who... Yeah. And written by Mike McMahon, the creator. Obviously, Mike McMahon... McMahon... Cross Zurich. Uh, he did the first episode. He does a lot of kind of the, the important episodes. And often ones that Mike McMahon writes, he, he directs, so... Um... <laughs> Yeah, we got, we made it to the end. Yeah, so here we are again at another season finale for Star Trek Lower Decks. This, of course, mm-hmm. is the finale for season three. Um, and what a what an episode! Um, I have to really say that these episodes are only like you know less than thirty minutes, and it just feels like and so much happens in such a short amount of time and. I think this episode is another example of that. There were so many moments where I just kind of felt like, oh, this we've reached the natural conclusion of the episode, and then, oh, no, wait, no, we've got more to deal with. Yeah, it really is um, a tight show, certainly, certainly. Most definitely. Now, it, it does something interesting here. I'll, I'll say it pulls a Halloween, too, and it directly continues immediately after the events of the previous episode. <clears throat> right. And we pick up finding out the aftermath of the televised um, disaster situation where the California-class Cerritos was saved by the Texas-class drone ship. And we find out that um, the California-class is is down in the media and it's on the chopping block. Yeah, so it's the lower decksness of it is now beginning to become far more apparent to people outside of Starfleet, right? Yeah, I guess so. I guess the Federation News Network is... Um, it's not the Fox News Network. They're just taking down hmm. poor Cali class. But, yeah, and, so this is, and so, yeah, there's now this uh, feeling that the Texas class is going to be the ship that replaces the California class, and so the crew is going to get reassigned. Um a very interesting notion um, that, you know, we could have automated starships that would replace actual, you know, exploratory vessels or even just vessels in general, I should say. Um, I think of definitely something that's been touched upon in the franchise, an idea that's been touched upon in the franchise before, but um, an interesting idea nonetheless. And I like it being the sort of crux of this episode and using it as a means to really kind of test out that theory of if this would be successful or not. Yeah, if if only they hadn't classified what went down with control, they could have uh, realized this was a bad idea. Oh, totally. Absolutely. But unfortunately, they've not they're not able to look back at the other issues they have mm. using AI. No. No. But I mean this this goes as far back as the original series. I mean, this is we've seen stuff like this in the ultimate computer, right? Um, it's not about an a- it's you know an AI sort of replacing a crew in a lot of ways. They pra- they tried war games with it, so this was an idea that was being you know visited, touched upon from the show's point of view, you know, hundred like over a hundred years ago. So, and they still haven't quite got it. No, but interestingly, um, and a last ditch effort to hold on to the California class, um, yep. the captain proposes a mission race. Yes, Again. which I thought was very cool. So, because the idea is is that the California class, they do a lot of, um, a big part of the mission is doing second contact, right? So, which doesn't make any sense, first off. Why would you have a drone ship make second contact? Well, because as the show has demonstrated, and I, and I actually like that Lower Decks has really gone into this um, quite a bit. After you have first contact with the species and you know, either make them an ally of the Federation or make them a part of the Federation. What happens after that? Like, how are you sort of brought into the fold, right? 
I guess it's sort of the idea, like if you join the UN or if you join NATO, okay, as soon as you sign that charter, what happens next? Who comes and gives you, what's you what you need? What are the things that you need to have in order to be part of this whole alliance? And from Star Trek's point of view, that's something I never really considered. So naturally- Right, we only knew new- New, you know, planets, mm. new civilizations they were discovering right. or longtime allies. We right. Thought but it's like, okay, but what happens the next day? Well, apparently they want yeah. a drone that's just going to show up and drop off some stuff. Right. I they, don't know. I would see that as not a great way to continue diplomatic relations. But I wouldn't think they would set up an embassy. <clears throat> maybe have humans there to do the, right. you know, day-to-day I would imagine it's a, I mean, I would imagine it's a long process, right? I mean, I don't think it's a one and done thing, but I think that they would maybe drop off some, some supplies first and then eventually a new envoy comes if they want to build an embassy or whatever. But I think it's sort of like that initial kind of like drop off of like, here, here are some supplies or here's, you know, whatever you need. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, cause I'm sure most don't probably don't need supplies. Right. But, I mean, this goes back to the first episode of Lower Decks. I mean, we saw the Cerritos crew doing this on in the first episode and in some episodes since then. So this is a – we've been revisiting we've been revisiting this idea several times. So yes. um, I think what it is is it's sort of this amalgamation of everything that the California class – we've seen the California class do over the last three seasons – which is now, oh, we can just do this with an AI, which I think is a really kind of cool parallel with the real world. Like how many jobs out there now are getting eliminated just because of a, you know, because they can automate them now, right? Yeah, that's fair. I don't, I, but I don't see that <clears throat> diplomacy will ever be, yeah. should be put to an AI. That's the weird yeah. part. But I get it. It moves the story. And especially for these ones where you, they are literally right. just dropping off supplies, it made sense. Yeah. But let's say that, you know you show up and there's some sort of diplomatic situation, or you're gonna have an AI just. Is it gonna be like a like a help text window? What can I help you with today? Yes, you know the the Starfleet version of Siri will take care of all of that. No, I, right. I, the thing is, I don't think the A, I don't think the Texas class replaces all of that. I think it just replaces a big, maybe just a big piece of it. But there's still other things right. that need to be done. And if there's a problem, it. maybe they can call on a you know like a right. card to right exactly it. right. That's fair. Um, and then we get, we check in with our lower deckers. They're mourning the loss of their <clears throat> comrade, Mariner. Yep. Mariner, yep. And it seems that, you know, they're down about it. They're not taking it very well. Although, I, I have to say, I didn't understand. We see Boimler. And then we have Rutherford says he loses his grip on reality when Mariner's not around. But what he was doing didn't suggest that he didn't have a grip on reality. That line didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. I was a little... Uh, yeah, he was just about. like excited about something, but he had no disconnection from reality. It's sometimes inconsistent behavior at the sake of just making something humorous or reinforcing a plot point. Yeah. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, and so the lower deckers are afraid that now, you know, with the whole thing with the Cali class, they're going to get they're just going to get transferred off the ship and they're going to get separated, which obviously we know is not, you know, it's not going to happen, but nevertheless, right. it leads us to the events of the episode. So, right. And it's funny to see what some of them think is going to happen. Yeah. Doctor thinks that she'll be a, well, like a lead doctor of a, of a, like a star base or something. Yep. So I didn't work my way up to be the sh- ship's doctor to go be on a outpost. Right, because what I like that Lower Dex is doing is that they make it seem like they're really kind of making it out to be being stationed on an outpost really sucks. Yeah. Like it's not great. Kelly class is maybe only one step above. Right. But you, you have to wonder, like, I mean, Deep Space Nine is an outpost, and, I'm, you know, that's a great outpost, right? But there has to More be, I'm sure there's like, problem. yeah, I'm sure there are like the Lower decks of outposts as well. Starbase 80, for one, you know, that Mariner was sent to last week. But if I remember, um, uh, Cisco wasn't all that thrilled about being posted at, being stationed at Deep Space Nine. Is that correct, if I remember correctly? He was, but I think it wasn't, <clears throat> I don't think it was because it was an outpost. I think it was because of the situation surrounding it and what oh, was necessary and what he needed to do. Um, yeah. In a recent, and actually a more recent episode of Star Trek Prodigy, there's, 
you know, without giving anything away, we we meet a Starfleet, a lone Starfleet officer on a on a on a the, who's the only one on a starbase, who's mm. taking care of the starbase, and um, it's a very interesting idea. Like it's the starbase that is like at the farthest reaches of Feder- like literally the edge of Federation space. Yeah, yeah. And it's, like it's just manned by one guy. Yeah. It makes me think of those ones along the neutral <clears throat> zone. Right. You know, like when there's no nothing's heating up with the Romulans. I'm right. sure that was that was a really yeah lame outpost. Yeah. So I think yeah. I mean, Deep Space Nine. Not to get into semantics, but maybe it's like it's it's space station versus outpost. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not one and the same. Maybe like it's next to an active wormhole. So there's all kinds of exciting things happening. If you're next to the neutral zone, you're just yeah. I mean, you were in the center of the Dominion War, right? That's yeah. That was a thing. Yeah. So the interesting thing, though, that happens is Rutherford starts to look at the code for the Texas class when they're starting off on their mission race. Mm-hmm. And he notices that it has some similarities to his own code and recognizes that it actually is based on his AI, which did we know he had AI? Yeah, I guess we did. maybe. Um, and so they uncover this conspiracy. We finally get to understand the flashbacks. The flashbacks were Admiral... Buen amigo, which interestingly yeah. loosely translates to good friend in Spanish. Yep. Um, so Buen amigo was behind um, Rutherford and erased his memory to cover up his plot. That's interesting because I didn't. I know you and I have wondered if we're ever going to get an answer to this. I mean, I, I, I didn't think that we doubted that we would. I just I think I'm surprised that we found out now. Right. That. This is where it came from. I figured we'd find out at some point, but mm-hmm. I figured they would just revisit it occasionally. But I never felt like I know that for me, I just never felt like, what are you doing? Stop dragging this along. Give me an answer. Right. Because it was never too much. You know, if we were seeing it every week and not getting an answer, that would right. be one thing. This is not discovery. It was, yeah, it was very much in the background. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was a great reveal, honestly. And the way it tied together, it was very well set up it was really well set up and it it really keeps in the the great star trek tradition of corrupt admirals yeah so they do make a joke about that yeah yeah there are very few admirals we have seen that are not corrupt yes and one of the things that um rutherford notices is that this has essentially the ai has daddy issues yeah yeah. Which proves to be a big problem for Admiral Bonamigo because uh, as soon as he gives turns over control, he wants to ki- destroy the Cerritos and say that Captain Freeman got angry and attacked the Texas-class ship and then the ship destroyed her. So he gives them full uh, self-control to take out the California-class Cerritos, um, but because they have daddy issues, they instead take out Bonamigo and right. an entire starbase. Mm-hmm. Which was a really, and I and I did have to wonder. I mean, because did you at all think that maybe that was some jab at Zora on Discovery? Not the daddy issues, but sort of like just the I, I would say just the issues themselves that the AI is having issues, right? Because remember, well, like, <laughs> you remember that? Remember, it. like, oh, now we have to worry about Zora now. Now yeah, the that, ship. Just, yeah, now the, now this now the, now the ship has to talk about its feelings, right? That's funny. I couldn't help but wonder about that. I mean, this is. Well, I think both AI and control, in a way. Yes. Oh, control as I well. Think we had a far more compelling battle. Yeah. I don't want to get into the comparison game, but we had a far more compelling battle that I cared about more between the Texas class and the Cerritos than we had between control and and uh, discovery. Yeah, I mean, I think the. I think part of the reason why, and I agree with you, and I think it's because in this one they built it up quickly and efficiently, and it just and it just made sense, right? They didn't spend too much time on it. They spent just enough time on it to build it up and develop it, and they just did it. Discoveries was sort of like going down this troubled road, and we didn't really know what this was going to wind up at, and it was like something new was happening every single week. So it wasn't a consistent journey to get there, and then it's like. Okay, but this is also like 45 straight minutes of battles, which are just not exciting at all. Yes, and it, yeah. it was limited enough. What were there, maybe four, three or four of Texas-class ships at one time? Yeah. 
So we always knew what was going on. We had one, was it Galaxy class? You said the class. Sovereign class, which is the Enterprise E, yeah. Um, But it came in and was destroyed pretty quickly, so we knew what was going on there. And then when all the California class came, there were a lot of them, but we only really saw a few. We could keep track of what was happening. It was never overwhelming. The other thing I was going to add really quickly, sorry, was that I think the reason why I found this to work more effectively as well is that, and maybe this is just more of a somewhat of a shitty way of looking at it, but Lower Decks to me has a lot more goodwill that I'm willing to, you know, allow them to to do those kinds of things and not get too angry about it. Yeah, and I would t- I, I felt there wasn't any reason to get angry. It was just really uh, yeah. Fine. Yeah, it, it was it was fine. I mean, let, let's put it another way. I wasn't bored watching any of it. Everything, no. everything no. that happened worked, and everything made sense. Let's put it that Absolutely. way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now we check in with Mariner, who is off with her new archaeology gig, guild gig. Doing a very uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark opening there. Yes. I wonder if that's synergy. No, wait. No, this is not owned by Disney. <clears throat> No, say, but it was it was Paramount. It was distributed by Paramount. Okay, but yeah, yeah. The new. Did you see the new promotion for the new uh, Indiana Jones film? That I did. Started. I did. So, yeah, but then I remembered Star Trek is not yet owned by Disney. It's interesting though because just really quick, this is the second time in with New Trek that I've felt that it's done some Indiana Jones callback. In the first episode of Strange New Worlds, there was a moment that was that also reminded me of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was when Nurse uh, Chapel was chasing that guy through the hallways to go get him because she because he woke up and ran out of sickbay, and I'm like, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the way it's shot. Maybe it's the music, but it just feels like it's like that scene where Indy is chasing Marion, who's in the basket through the through the streets. Like, oh, it's just reminding me of that for some reason, whether intentional or not. But this one felt more directly referenced. Well, of course, the yeah. idol looks because the idol, <laughs> right. yeah. Um, and yeah. she's wearing the leather jacket. She's an archaeologist. I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then you know it's if you're gonna yeah it's it's quite an influential film of course it's the thing to reference. But I like the idea of like Picard being into archaeology, and I think to myself like, but is it like a 24th century Indiana Jones situation, or is it just right? Yeah, yeah it's interesting that Picard funds it, but then also it just leads you to wonder. It still doesn't answer the money question. Once again, how does money work in this right. world? Right. <laughs> because how does he have to fund it? I didn't think they had money, but whatever. We that doesn't that. answer the question. It just moves it somewhere else. Yeah, he yeah. funds it, but with what money when they say that they don't use money? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So, Do you get a pension uh, in the Federation? Can you use that? Maybe he just gives them wine and they barter it with alien worlds. Uh, so as the battle continues, Shax, who, who Boimler had made fun of earlier for... Always wanting to eject the warp core, no matter what the situation is. Yep. And it turns out that in this situation, ejecting really the warp core is the exact right move for them to, to make. You really, really wanted. To. You got so excited because that's in Star Trek. That's a really big deal. Like, yes, because once you eject the warp core, you're dead. You're floating dead in space. All you, you have is impulse. You eject the warp, and you know you can eject the warp core in an emergency. Some have ejected it to use it as a weapon and detonate it. So it's a big yeah. ejecting the warp core is a big deal. So I like that lower decks made a big deal out of it, as it was supposed to be. Yes. It's it's a, definitely a last resort option. But even to the point where like he was running down the hallway and everyone's cheering him on, like, all right, Shax, you right. got this. They've probably all been hearing him for years, no matter what happens. Like, right. oh, we have some, uh, you know, um, subspace radiation. Eject the warp core. Well, because didn't he, I can't, like, didn't he try to, didn't he want to eject it a couple of weeks ago? Like, he, he suggested it recently, I think. I don't, I don't think it was this episode. I think it was a couple weeks before. I don't recall. I really, th- I, I, I have to... Maybe I'm just misremembering, but I feel like he did suggest it at one point recently. So, and if so, this is like the, this is kind of that payoff that he finally gets to do it. Yeah. But they hammed it up perfectly. It was great. It was very well done. Yeah. And it also gave Boimler a moment to be assertive in a in a positive way on the bridge. Right. Because uh, at first he was scolded for telling everyone to shut up, but no one was listening to Shax because they just are used to Shax talking about. Ejecting the warp core, I guess. Right. So they, uh, it's a boy who cried wolf situation. Yes. Uh, but the the real surprise here is that Mariner shows up, and she brings all the Cali class ships with her. Right. Which was all named after cities in California. 
as and not even cities. I think they were named after neighborhoods of Los Angeles, right. which was, was the funniest part. Inglewood, Sherman Oaks. I yep. think those might be neighborhoods in Los Angeles. I, I, I don't know, but I thought I could be misremembering. I thought I heard Television City in this somewhere. <laughs> Definitely heard Anaheim. Yeah. Brent, uh, yes, Brent, Studio City would have been funny. Too. Brentwood. Um, right, Carlsbad. Yeah, Carlsbad. I know Carl. Yeah, I used to know somebody that lived there. I don't know if we heard Modesto or not, but we were hearing like the level of Modesto, like these small. Right. And the thing is, Television City, if that's if I heard it, that's not even a city. It's a production studio from Television City in Hollywood. This is the 25, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Studio City is also a. uh, I think it's just a place where a bunch of studios are. Right. Did did they say Studio City? I want to think so, but I don't think they did. It's a neighborhood of Los Angeles. Yes, of course. As is, I think, also, let's see if Sherman Oaks is. Yes, Sherman Oaks so a lot is, of yes. Which makes yeah. sense. I'm sure a lot of the writers and people involved in the show live in Los Angeles. Well, I got to give Jack Quaid credit. I mean, he was, reading those, he was reading those off. I could tell he was actually reading them off, like, at that speed. He was just, he was really oh, yeah. getting it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, okay. That's not easy this, to do. This is, a, this is where, you know, obviously the show is what it is, right? But we usually don't have to talk about big, what I will not call a plot hole, but it's like a logic gap. Yep. <laughs> and usually the show doesn't have it, but I have a big logic gap here where how is it that Starfleet was only able to send one ship to help, but Mariner was able in, in the amount of time, right? So now right. they know that, that their ships are destroying, <clears throat> you know, uh, Federation ships. Right. Yet Mariner is able to bring... A dozen ships, yet Starfleet cannot can send one, but only one. This is where that you know I think there's that line between moving the you know needing to move the needle of the plot forward and just sort of, but also throwing the logic out the window. Like you're asking a valid question. It was obviously done just to set up Mariner and make her the hero and redeem it, redeem her. But yes, I mean yeah. within the world itself, that's weird. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like what does she, you know? Does she? I mean, I'm sure Mariner knows everyone on those ships anyway. But the, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know what you're, I know what you're asking. I get it. But well, one would think that yeah, Starfleet would have better communication than Mariner would right. when she's in the archaeological guild. Right. And once they have one of their like flagship level ships almost destroyed, they would think it was serious enough to send reinforcements. Right. But like I said, I didn't let it bug me. I just noticed it and kept enjoying the episode no and you know and that's the thing like and i think that's what i mean when i say lower decks has a lot of goodwill for me like i'm willing to just kind of let things like that slide by so long as they don't do it all the time because if you do it all the time then i'm going to keep noticing it and it's going to start getting annoying oh absolutely yeah i'm more forgiving with lower decks i'm sorry to say Oh, definitely. Yeah. When when you enjoy you're enjoying ninety nine percent of the um, you know, the episode, then yeah, of course, totally. Oh, listen to this. They must they they could very well have said Television City. I happen to Google it. It says since nineteen sixty one, Television City has served as the master control facility for CBS's West Coast Television Network operations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since CBS, that would make sense, right? Trek was on NBC and run by Paramount at the time, which wasn't affiliated with CBS. But as of recent yeah, years, yes. I know. Now, yeah. it's on, now, now it is. Yeah. Yeah. Which now is, they're in the yeah. family. Yes. Yep. Which would um, make more sense because television, as we know, it does not exist anymore in the 24th century. So yes, it'd be funny maybe. if the name was still retained, right? Maybe it's a literal city now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, that was neat to see all the California class, and they're all kind of the you know the bottom of the barrel Starfleet people, but they stick together and they all felt connected and all that. I also liked how they just had different variations of the California class. There was there was some of the some of them that looked a little bit different. Yeah, they had colors. Yeah, on some them. had colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't. They don't really use colors in Starfleet, so I'm glad to see that they are. No, they're always the same boring silver colors, right? But I let, there was one that yeah, there was one that had like some yellow on there, which I thought was really yeah. cool and I thought, hmm. Yeah. That's kind of the question I have about the world. It's like how do you determine Starfleet with one gets colored? Did you run out of, you know? Yeah, cuz otherwise you got to look for the numbers and the letters. Uh, what does that say? Um Right. 
So, and with that, the day is saved. Mariner mm-hmm. is back in the good graces of her mom. Um, the Texas class have been eradicated. Yep. And all is right with them. All is well. And we finally get something that we've been waiting for for the last year. True. But before that, mm-hmm. we get one of those nice little... Um, you know, post uh, hardship mm, bar scenes, whatever they call it, lounge, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. cast. I don't know. So we have um, Shax forgives um, Boimler, and now he becomes his bridge buddy. Yep. Rutherford keeps his AI because it's cool. Yep. Now here's my question: Here, did you notice he turned it on? He's like, I found out all these new uses. He's doing X-ray. He does heat. And there's a guy with a beard who has no heat signature <laughs> right in the middle of the frame. Yep. What was that about? Do you know what? Were they like no a, clue. Heat, a heatless alien type <laughs> no or something? Clue. Is, okay. it, so is, it, is it suggesting something? I have no idea. Is he, uh, is he a data? Possibly. I don't know. All right. Yeah. And then you get the big reveal. Tell us all about it. So finally, after waiting a full season... Our, our lower decks Vulcan from last season finally arrives, mm-hmm. which I'm very very happy about. Um, you and I wanted, you know, you and I were hoping because uh, she wasn't in the. I don't think she was in the finale. It wasn't the finale she was in. She was in. I think she was in the penultimate last season, but it seemed to suggest that she was going to show up. I think soon, or maybe just maybe it didn't. We just hoped that she would. Um, maybe it just seemed logical that she would be appearing in the first episode. But um, and for the first batch of episodes, you and I kept saying, where, where, "Where's the Vulcan? Where is she? When's she gonna show up?" And she finally did. And so it looks like she's gonna be now be part of the cast going forward, starting next season, which I'm thrilled about. Yes. Yeah. Training with. Tendi, which is hilarious because we already saw their clash of personalities. Tendi's very excitable and happy yep. and friendly yep. and goofy, and you know she's a Vulcan. Do you? And so, and I, I know I was posing this question about her previously. Do you feel like? I assume you're happy that she's she's on there. Um, oh, sure. I love Vulcan comedy. But here's my question: Do you feel like we've seen since in the last? two seasons we've seen them really try to shake up the dynamic and you know do these stories with different different characters pairing up different characters right and they even make a joke about it I think last season when they put Tendi and Mariner together at one point remember when Tendi's like do you even know what my do you even know my last name they made they made Rutherford and Boimler kind of um, they made them like you know bros at one point so they, they really, because typically it was always Rutherford and Tenny were together and then Mariner and Boimler were together. Mm-hmm. And they shook that up a little bit over the, over the course of the last two seasons. Do you feel like now, because I think I know I do, it's almost like, okay, you've run through all the different combinations, so now it's time to throw in somebody new to, this, to the I mix. Mean, I do certainly think that it's good to have somebody new in there. Yeah. And the just opens up it's got to make it easier to write compelling and new types of episodes. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I, like, it's, it's such a different personality to be added to the our right. personality mix. For me, and I, and maybe it's because we were introduced to her, and we were, you know, they were suggesting that she was going to join eventually. So I just kept thinking about it. But I really feel like the show needs. I felt like the show needed a new ingredient. It needed a new. It needed a new character to kind of maybe shake things up just a tiny bit. Um, I agree. And I think a Vulcan is perfect for this because it's such a perfect juxtaposition for the style of the show, right? Yeah. The Vulcan can be even more of a foil than they normally are because obviously the show is comes from a humorous place. And having a Vulcan on there is just, I think, a fantastic idea. Yeah, it's going to be a, an excellent contrast to totally 
everything that they do. And just imagine the silly antics they get up to and how a Vulcan will react to now being yeah. in the middle of these things. Right. And again, to remind everybody, I mean, you were raving in that episode that she was in. Oh, when yeah. we got to see the Vulcan lower decks and you were, and remember what you said to me, it was like some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen in Trek. And I was like, you didn't get it. I, I just, it just went right over my head. I'm like, yeah. I, what do you, they were Vulcans to me. Like they were acting like Vulcans. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, but they were just, so with they that in so mind, Vulcan right. Came over the top. When so. I went back to watch it, then I was like, okay, I see what he's saying. And I just, yeah, that's Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. I I love satire, so I'm always on the lookout. For because I said to you, I said, you know, in that episode, because they were focusing on the Vulcans and the Klingon lower decks, and I said to you, oh, yeah, dude, yeah, the, Vulcans were the Klingon lower decks, like, give me that show. Like, <laughs> it's so <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I thought the balance was right. right. So and I still want that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be great. I can't wait. And I'm glad that they gave us, the, essentially, that they did what... Um, Strange New Worlds is doing with Cybok, right? They gave us the tease and then they yeah. backed off. Yeah, so I mean... It's a good way to handle the introduction of a new Vulcan, I guess. What I truly appreciate is the show does a really good mix, right? So I think I was talking about this last week, maybe the week before last, how it's so... We've, I've just been, we've just been beaten down not just not from Trek, just in general, of like season season long shows having long story arcs, right? Over the course of a season, over the course of a series. Like it's just it's it's everywhere now, right? And mm-hmm. so Lower Decks comes back to just doing basic episodic Trek, right? Which we and Strange New Worlds as well, which we love. But they still you know, they'll do like two-part episodes. Lower Decks is doing two-part episodes, more or less. I mean, it's not part one, part two, mostly, but they're just they're doing two-episode-like arcs, really, and that's it. Um, well, this is a two-parter, really. Right. But nevertheless, there's there's even some aspects of it that go beyond just a, just a two-part story, right? So it's this really good mix of like a, a like a, a long-form story arc but also keeping it con- keeping a lot of it concise into two developing a lot of it over two part over a two part episode yeah so like it was several episodes ago that we met yeah. and found out about the archaeology gig right uh, guild um and it sort of planted that seed but then it doesn't pay off till later so yeah i think it's i think it's nice right and like, need to keep checking back in with the archaeology guild and i think with yeah. cyborg on strange new worlds i mean i'm just posing a theory here but you know if that was done like say on discovery right i feel like that would have been setting up and this is just the way discovery is structured that would potentially be setting up the next season oh he's going to be you know the villain or whatever you want to call him the next season Mm -hmm. strange new worlds is probably just telling us yeah we're just gonna we're gonna come back to him in an episode or two episodes later on but he's not like gonna be the yeah, villain no of the next season, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And nice I like because that. The problem too is that a lot there's a lot there's a lot riding on it when you have one villain. If the villain doesn't land, then your whole season is is uh, you know hurt by it. Yeah, I mean, it's not, we don't it, need to go down there. That's what they call putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, putting all your eggs in one green lady. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um. Okay, favorite lines. Favorite lines. So this is a tough one. There weren't any particularly to me hilarious lines. No. So I'll say my favorite line was just a a weird line. So the Texas class ships, when they were um, doing their murders of father figures, they would say, I will burn your heart in a fire. Yeah, which you said, asked me if that was a... I don't know if that's a, 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 a reference to something. If it's not... It sounds it's like it's something weird. a Klingon would say. It's weird and creepy and brilliant. And if it is, then it, it worked well. So I will say that um, that's my favorite line. Yeah, I don't know if that was some. I don't know if that was a thing. I'm not. I'd have to look for it. But um, my favorite line. So you said it already, which was, um, "Oh no, a starship can't have daddy issues." 
That actually oh, was yeah. my favorite line. But I think, like you, that I had the same problem. There weren't there weren't many lines that really jumped out at me as funny. We had this problem last week as well. Um, and by the way, you were right. I went back and looked at other episodes. It was I was wrong. It was funniest lines. Oh previously. yeah. So see, so never doubt me. <laughs> so oh maybe, wait, no. hold on. I got a little continuity corner here. Go ahead. In episode season one, episode six, terminal provocations. It is the episode where we meet Badgie. Yes. And when Badgie is chasing Rutherford and Tendy, he says, I will burn your heart in with fire, which is very close to I will burn your heart in oh, with fire. Oh, it's the variation of, yeah. 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 I love Badgie. Yeah. He's the greatest. So maybe, maybe going forward, we can just say funniest or f- favorite or funniest lines, potentially, because I think... Uh- I'm yeah. still going to treat it as funniest because I've enjoyed that. Yeah. Except this one time. That's I'll prioritize the lines as being funny, but if I can't find a funny one, then I'm just going to say, well, I don't have a funniest line. Oh, that's what it is. I don't have a funniest line. I have a favorite line. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So continuity is, it's a gigantic list once again. Right, so I'm not going to do all of it. I'm just going to do highlights. I'll just do some highlights. All right. Um, the biggest thing that jumped out at me was when you actually get a look at the Texas class computer interface, it's the exact same interface as the M5 computer that we see in the ultimate computer on the original series, the M5 Multitronic units. So that was a, uh, that was a big one for me. That was the most obvious the we actually get to see the so talking about the first episode of the series second contact we revisit the galadonians who are the first aliens that we see in the uh, series in the first um in the first episode this episode also establishes that picard was an admiral by 2381 oh yeah yeah um we once again see another sovereign class starship. This is the second one that we, uh, second or third one that we have seen. Up until then, it's only been the Enterprise E that we have seen as a uh, sovereign class starship. Um, Talin, who was the Vulcan's name, that's uh, we finally get to see her again. That's a uh, that's a big one. But let me see if I can reach a little bit further back. Um, what was the name of the ship that we saw? The um... yeah, the one you just mentioned. The uh, the sovereign class ship. Yeah. It was, let me just double check so I forgot what it was too. The Van Sitters, the USS Van Sitters. <laughs> okay. V-A-N-S, excuse me, V-A-N-C-I-T-T-E-R-S. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know what I also wondered about too? When the Cerrito, and I don't know if this was actually an Easter egg, <laughs> continuity corner Easter egg, whatever, but or maybe just a jab to the uh, to Trek. But when the all of the California class ships showed up at the end, I wondered if that was a way of making fun of the fleet arrival at the end of season one of Picard when they were all the same ship and everybody got mad. <laughs> so I did wonder about that. I kind of viewed that as a little bit of like continuity, but I don't think you know. Maybe it was just more of a uh, more of a joke. Um, Here's an interesting uh, thing about Van Sitters. Yeah. So Daryl Van Sitters, born Did October twenty ninth, nineteen fifty six. I said that right, right? Is that how you pronounce it? Van Sitters. Okay. But an American director, animator, and author whose credits include Hi Hi Poofy Ami Yumi, Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig. Um. Foghorn Leghorn, Tweety, and was went to the California Institute of Arts to study animation. So yeah, he was a Disney animator and a Warner Bros. animator and renegade animation. So um, certainly could be a uh, homage to this longtime animation. Interesting. Okay. Um, the chief engineer, Billups, tells the engineering team at one point, 
that he wants to see commander level data, commander data level work, and that the isolinear chips better be a blur. So there's a scene in the second episode of Next Gen called The Naked Time when they're trying to get the Enterprise out of the way of an asteroid really quickly and, you know, powers down. So data is putting in all these chips back into engineering to get the engine. So he's doing it. He's doing it like really, 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 really fast. Yeah. 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 And you can tell, like, they just speed up the film. Right. Yeah. But that's so like it practically I, is a blur at one point. Yeah. I couldn't think of the exact scene or episode when you said that, but I also knew exactly what, that's he, was what he was. Yeah, that's what he was referencing, which I think is uh, very funny. And see, and those are the kind of references that I really that I think are just really, really funny. Like it's not it's not directly referencing something like sort of like it's not directly referencing an episode, but it's like it's just enough where you say like, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. It's yeah, just it's that. a little bit clever. Yeah, because you know, he's using it as a metaphor for the type of work he wants, so it kind of works. Right. In that. Right. Um, yeah. So that's and and the last one I'll mention. I mean, again, you know, the admiral keeping in the tradition of Trek. It's a corrupt admiral, as most admirals in Trek tend to be. So uh-huh. um, again. There are a lot of, there are way, way more than what I just mentioned. So, like I said, I just wanted to reference the ones that stood out to me, the ones that I like the most. Um, but there are way, 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 way more. I mean, trekmovie.com will have some memory alpha. Of course, we'll have all of them. So I would encourage anybody else who wants to see what all of them were if they didn't catch them to take a look there. So, um, I'm just going to mention something. This is so tangentially related, but I don't care because it's hilarious. I had the map up of Television City. Yes. And I happened to glance at it, and there was a restaurant right across from Television City, and the name of it is Burger She Wrote. <laughs> okay. I just wanted everyone to enjoy that as much as I did, hopefully. So it's not Burger She Made or Cooked. It's Burger She Wrote. Okay. Bur- like Murder She Wrote. I know, I know. I know, But you don't write, you know, I just... <laughs> Well, I, I get it. Then I think it would lose it. If it said burger she made, I think people wouldn't put it together. Yes. Yes, I know. I know. I, I know. They're just being cutesy. I understand. Um, Very cute. So. Impressively so. All in all. So we have another season under under our belt. So we've got 30 episodes of Lower Decks behind us. Um, obviously, I think maybe the dust has to settle a little bit. But first, how did you how did you feel about this season overall? Um, I do think that it like most. I think it started to drag a little bit in the middle. Yeah, uh, like early middle, and then it picked up at the end. So, you know, overall though, this is this is a minor criticism. Yeah, we uh, there was a point early on. There was a point midway for us where we, I think, even recording it struggled so a little bit because there wasn't really a lot we didn't have a lot to say because we were very i think we felt very middle of the road so yeah um i don't know if i can really say how i feel about this how i would rank this season against the other two just yet um i think but But I do think, what I can say is, I think that I feel like the show this season has really well, I've already said this already, I've already said this, but really has done a good job at striking a balance between the comedy and doing a serious story, right? Um... In many cases, we get a pretty sort of, not deadly serious episode, but an episode that has sort of, it's not a funny episode, it's just an episode that has funny moments or funny lines, but the plot is not a humorous plot, and the events are not humorous, mostly. Um, I think they've really, I think they settled into a nice groove this season. They didn't seem to go too far to the right, like with the comedy, but too far to the left with the seriousness. They kind of, they kind of, they walked the line, I think, pretty well and i think last season they maybe they went a little bit too far with the references and you know i remember i said they were like they would sometimes just throw in references at a breakneck speed i felt like there was far less reliance on making a joke about 
a past episode or a pat or a reference a, a past reference this season i really felt like they kind of as weird as it may sound to say i feel like they took themselves a little bit more seriously this season but succeeded at it they seem to have more faith in their in their uh in themselves this season yeah i think more confidence yeah that makes sense i yeah. mean i i I, I think uh, it's funny because when they do it too much, I don't like it. When But now I'm learning when they do it too little, I don't like it. <laughs> so right. there are a few episodes that I kind of would have liked some more, honestly, this season, where we kind of were getting these stories that were, it was like, okay, that was a fine half hour episode of Animated Trek, but I didn't particularly laugh at right. all. That's what, I mean, you know, chuckled or thought, hmm, clever. But, there were like three you know, episodes. Obscure reference would have made me laugh, at least. There were like three episodes where we had that feeling like, th- and there were like, there were like three in a row where we had that exact feeling what you just yes. described. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, and I think this, they've done that in the past in past seasons as well, but I I think I got more annoyed with it this season than I did in the past, than I did with the last ones. You're more annoyed with it here. Yeah. Like I think what you described this is not new. I mean, I think the series has done it before, but for some reason I was more tired with, of it this season than I was in past seasons when it decided to, when it was like, yeah, it was very middle of the road, but it wasn't particularly funny or anything. And we just, like, we didn't, we may not have had much to say. And I found myself getting a little bit kind of frustrated with that. Um, but I think it also just played into the fact that I really didn't have much to say. And I, maybe that, maybe I wanted more to say and I just didn't have anything to say. So, yeah, yeah. I agree. I yeah. agree. So yeah, I like it. Um, bring that you know end of the season heat all season. That's what I would like. All right. So you have a news item. I mean, it's a little bit of a news item. Yeah. Um, uh, apparently, Frakes did an interview with Trek Movie. Mm-hmm. We knew that he was directing the crossover with uh, Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks, but it turns out he has said it is pure comedy. It is hilarious and it is pure comedy. I think that's only news because, you know, we kind of thought, what will they road what kind of approach will they take? Will it be, you know, a real episode, but it's the humor of just having those characters from lower decks there that will make it funny or but I guess it's gonna be pure comedy, according to Frakes. Yeah. Yeah. What I, do you think I, about going pure I mean, comedy? I think that's fine. We, I think we got a little bit of that with the fairy tale episode of Strange New Worlds. Um, so I'm fine with it. I mean, I think if no, they if do you it, consider someone uh, giving over his daughter to the Eternal, and uh, well, you know, it ended that way. I mean, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I, if that's I'd say that was like nine percent comedy. You know, so I think it's going to be jarringly different. Is all I'm hmm. saying. Because even an episode like that that was funny maybe had about ten percent if it was funny. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna kind of take the attitude that you take, which is, if it's well, if it's done well, then that's fine. Yeah, like that's right. really what that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. If you do it well, then great. Right, and I don't um, think it's gonna have a laugh track or a live studio audience or anything. Shot at Television stu- City. I, I take that too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the other thing that he said, Frank said, is uh, they're taking a big swing with this episode. And he said, but that's why the show's so great. So that's interesting. But I th- but also remember what I said when the season when that season of that show began. Given that they were doing episodic shows, it was like if you if one episode sucks, it doesn't have ramifications for the next six of them, right? Right. If or it's if not good, episode, yeah, it's just then, pure comedy, right? It's not gonna, but you know. But you know what it is? I think that show, I, I think of all the, I think Discovery and Low, Disco, well, we said Lower Decks. I think Discovery and Picard take themselves way too seriously, right? Lower Decks, of course, is a comedy. But I think even Strange New Worlds, while it is one of the more serious Trek shows, I think they've, they've done humor pretty well. And I think that cast is very good at it. Um, Agreed. You know, I think they're really good at it. Discovery doesn't like, do any of it. <laughs> it's the updated original series because let's not forget the original series had a lot of jokes in it. Totally. 
There were a lot so, of moments of humor. So I think that this is kind of doing that. It's having serious stories, but it knows that you got to throw in some humor here and there. Right. Uh, and the humor works. But I think even like this, just as overall, because I think it's it's the show's, it's the vibe of the show. It's a much more light show in terms of its, in terms of how it's, how it's performed. Right. I mean, Captain Pike is very much the dad of the crew and he even does dad jokes more or less. Right. Yeah. But there's like a, you know, there's like a suave about him. That's just a humorous suave about the guy. And, you know, number one, it's she's, you know, where fun goes to die. So she's sort of like, and then you also have Ortegas, who I think has proven to be pretty funny. Everybody on that show, I think, has proven that they can do comedy. Um, so I think it's a good mix. I think they'll be able to work with Lower Decks well. That's my hope. And I just, once again, if they do it well, then great. I don't really have any preconceptions. I, my only preconceptions are just on each show individually. How will they work together? Don't know. Yeah, but, I'm but I think um, I'm thinking more excited for it because I don't know what to expect. R- right. Absolutely. Um, because when you would do crossovers with, say, The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, both shows felt the same. Like it was easy for those. You, you didn't have trouble buying the fact that both of those crews existed in the same world, the same universe, right? But when you're dealing with Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks, even though they are in the same universe, they're such different shows that it's sometimes you're like, how would you even bring those characters together like that? Right? Mm-hmm. I, I hope there's a point when. Um... Uh, Pike is exasperated with their antics. Right. You know, because he's trying to run a, you know, a normal crew. Well, it kind of, the last thing I'll say is like, when we had those, the Netflix Marvel shows, right? Mm-hmm. I think there had been, it was when people were wondering, could we potentially see Jessica Jones or um, uh, Daredevil in mm. the movies? crossing right. over with the movies and even though they've you know sort of done it already but at the time I couldn't reconcile seeing those characters in the films because the shows were so those sh- the shows were much more violent and more bleak and the movies yeah. were a little bit more more lightweight more family oriented more fun right. so I had trouble imagining yeah. those two and, coming and together that, yeah yeah Daredevil showed up on she-Hulk and it was very jarring because it was not the same tone. Right. Not the same character. Just the same actor and the same character, but right. it didn't it was very strange. And he it was um it was Spider-Man, right, that he appeared recently as well? Uh yeah, but that yeah. was just him as a lawyer just for a second. But he's right. full Daredevil and has multiple scenes in She-Hulk and it's yeah jarring. I just yeah, I could not imagine those yeah. So that that's what I'm worried about. Like I don't want it to be jarring. Right. With these two, that's. But since, yeah. the, thing, since the, the tones are, I couldn't think tones, of that word tone. That's what I'm just looking for. Yeah, one of the tones is com- comedic. I think that, and the other one has some elements of comedy. I think they're just going to play that up. I think it will be very good. Yeah. Yeah. I think they'll mesh well. Is what I'm think I'm saying. Whereas I think Daredevil and She-Hulk did not mesh well. Do you think that they will? Because it's going to be an episode of Strange New World. It's not going to be on the lower deck set. It's going to be Strange New Worlds. Do you think that <laughs> lower they... Lower deck set? Where's that? <laughs> What's that? You said it's not going to be on the lower deck set. And I said, where is the lower deck set? No, no, no. The lower, I said side. Lower deck side. Oh, okay. Um, do you think that... Now, this is going to be the first time, obviously, we see the lower decks cast, or those two, in live action, right? It's going to be fine. They look fine. I'm not worried about that, the appearance. Do you think that they will... Do you worry that they could potentially, like, make Mariner and Boimler, like, more? Like, more extreme than how they are on Lower Decks? No, I don't know why they would do that. Okay. I think it would be anything to go a little bit less because it's not a cartoon. Like, I couldn't see Boimler screaming... As much as you that's scream. the thing like what yeah that's the other thing like what 
what are the sort of trademark things that they do that we'll have trouble translating in, re- in you know, <laughs> in live action? Well, he probably will scream. That is sort of his trademark. Yeah. Will he have purple hair? I think that's the big question. Yeah, that's what I'm very curious about. Will he have purple hair? I think he will. Yeah. And it'll be funny because now he says he dies it. <laughs> right. That's the thing. And like, I wondered if that was their way of getting, I, I wondered if that was their way of getting around that quest, getting yeah, around that. Like they just said that on really Lower so they could <laughs> explain. Yeah. But I think also, like, when you saw, when they went to the stage with the Stranger Worlds cast at, I think it was New York Comic Con. No, it was, I'm sorry, it was San Diego Comic Con. Mm-hmm. It was Tony Newsom and Jack Quaid came on stage and invaded the panel. I, it was so weird. Like, I totally, like, more so than usual. It was like, yeah, like, Mariner and Boimler are on stage. Like, in other words, yeah. I don't think it's going to be a stretch because I just feel like the line between Tawny Newsom and Beckett Mariner, like, I feel like it's just not, there's no line. It's non-existent. Yeah. He's the most perfect one. Right. Absolutely. I think everyone else is a little less perfect, but still pretty close. Right. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And I think it's, again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something that's very different. It's going to be something that's very new. I mean, Trek shows crossing over with each other is not a new idea, but an animated Trek show crossing over with a live action one, even though they're going to be in live action. But it's brilliant. yeah, I think it's going to be great. I think everyone was fearing there was going to be some kind of like Roger Rabbit situation. I wouldn't care if it was that. Either. I mean, neither would I. <laughs> um, it's like, you know, because Roger Rabbit's a groundbreaking film. Let's be honest. Yeah. And, you know, that had been done before and it's been done since. Right. Um, and, you know. I like it when shows take risks. Remember, I don't know if people remember out there and listening back in the 90s when, you know, it seems like such a common thing now. So many other shows have done it. But when Buffy the Vampire Slayer had a musical episode. Right. That was a big deal because, um, you know, it was not a show that had um, seemed like a musical episode would be fitting with its tone. I remember that. And I remember when that, after that happened, there had been speculation over whether Enterprise would do that for some reason. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think every show. But should didn't do. that didn't that kind of start something though? Didn't some other shows do that too? Yeah, some other shows have done that. Since. Yeah, I think Star Trek would be some Star Trek show would be perfect for it. Yeah, and people are not open to the idea of Trek doing that because it's so it's so like it's so far from the mothership, right? It's so unlike anything. Yeah, but, it, but it's like, lower, I mean, lower decks, obviously, but also Strange New Worlds are perfect for it because all you have to do is meet some nine year old kid who has, uh, in, you know, powers and just makes them all sing everything. But it goes you know, back to what you've original theories. It goes back to what you've said a million times now. If they do it well, yeah, then everybody will love it. And it'll be right. like, that was brilliant. Of course, they should have done that. Everybody should do that. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I swear, um, it sounds arrogant, but you know, the, I think the best writers and showrunners know that um, the audience doesn't know what they want till we give it to them. Right, and then if it's done well, you say, think to yourself, "Sad to say, who asked for this?" Right, but if it's good, they'll be they'll just say it was great. Right. So, you know, they don't know what they want until you give them something good, and then they'll say, "This is what I wanted." Of course. And then when you get a yeah, and then you also say they should have done this twenty five years ago. Yeah. Or something. We all know Picard can sing. I mean, uh, Patrick Stewart can sing. Right. Um, cool. Well, I think that's going to do it. Um, I think that at some point uh, we had a chat about doing some Prodigy, talking about some Prodigy. So I think we're going to be have that. We're going to have that coming to you listeners at some point. Don't have a date on that just yet. But um, I've been encouraging Ethan here to watch it. I think he's really going to enjoy it. I myself am two episodes behind right now, but I'm pumped. It's wonderful. It's lovely. First two. You what? I think I've only watched the first one and a half or two. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you will come out of it saying again, it's a lovely, it's a lovely little show. And I think Star Trek needs lovely little shows. Yes. They don't always have to be this grand Absolutely. You know, hyped up statement. Just uh, put out a lovely little show. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, I think that'll be that'll do it. And uh, thank you all for listening. And we will see you all soon. Peace out. Bye.